Ordinary. Ordinary. I've been pondering the word ordinary this week. Ordinary means usual, regular, common, everyday, average, and what we're all striving for, mundane. Ordinary. Ordinary. But ordinary wouldn't be ordinary unless it was what? Ordinary, right? I mean, it's ordinary because most of us are experiencing ordinary. I know it's circular reasoning, but it's true. It's ordinary because most of us experience the ordinary. And I was thinking back on 2010, and as we kind of sit at the crossroads of 2011, I was wondering how many of us experienced an ordinary 2010, a usual year, a regular year, a common year, an every day or every year year. Thank you for laughing at that. <laughs> an average year or a mundane year. And as we step into 2011, what is going to be different this year than last year? Is there anything that can happen that can move us from the ordinary and to experience the extraordinary? Now check out extraordinary. Unusual, unexpected, astonishing. I love it. <laughs> Surprising and amazing. You know, when I was 24 years old, I had enough of the ordinary. I had enough of the common, the usual, the everyday, the average, the mundane. And I decided to follow this guy named Jesus. And I believe that that life was going to be extraordinary. That it was going to be unusual and unexpected, astonishing, surprising, and amazing. I don't know about you, but I did not sign up for the ordinary. Ordinary, I can do all on my own. Don't need God. I don't. If I want an ordinary life, people do it all the time without God. In fact, it's a surefire way to experience the ordinary. But those of us who are followers of Christ, the ordinary may just be sin. That he's called us to something more, something different, to something, may I say, extraordinary. And we're all in different places, and, you know, there's ordinary days, right? But there's also this hope, this promise of the extraordinary. And I was reading in Scripture, and I came across a story story that we actually kind of touched on a few weeks ago, but we didn't really go into it. And, 
And it's really the difference between the ordinary and experiencing the extraordinary. It's found in Exodus chapter 3, and I think it's so rich. And there's so much great stuff for us who are followers of Christ, who sense somewhere deep in our soul that God has something more than what we are currently experiencing. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. One day Moses was tending the flock. Moses was out doing his thing, his trade, the same thing he did the day before and the same thing that he was expecting to do the next day. He was out tending his flock. This is the life that he chose. He was royalty. He left it. He didn't have any time for the pomp and circumstance and everything that went along with the Egyptian royal life. He said, I don't want any part of that. I want to be a shepherd. Nothing wrong with being a shepherd. Lots of great people were shepherds. David. Some other people, I'm sure. (laughs) So he's out there and he's tending his flock, right? Doing, minding his own business and everything. And he's going along and he starts seeing this burning bush. Now, An interesting thing about this burning bush, he spent some time to watch it. I mean, he's out there with his sheep and everything. I assume they were sheep. And he's shepherding along, and there's a bush that is engulfed in flame. He's in the middle of the desert, and really, who cares, right? Like, what, the sand going to catch on fire? I mean, it's not like this is impending doom or anything. I mean, there's a, a bush. So maybe it's a slow day with the flock. They're all being obedient. They're all hanging out. So something he decided to, like, I'm going to look at this, this bush a little bit more. And as he looked at it, he stared in amazement. Because though the bush was engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. This is amazing. Moses said to himself, why isn't this bush burning up? I must go see. This is Moses' first mistake. It is. If you want to have an ordinary life, which Moses did, he took his attention off of what was ordinary and he started looking at something that was extraordinary. At this point, it's like uh, Morpheus, you know? Matrix, kind of cool movie like 50 years ago. (laughs) Holding out the, the blue pill and the red pill. And he takes, I don't remember what color, the blue, let's say, or red, I don't know. And he starts to look at something that was outside of the ordinary. When the Lord saw Moses coming up to take a look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, 
Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Esau. No, Esau blew it, man. That was a few weeks ago. Jacob! I can't ever read this again without just like, you idiot, you know? When Moses heard this, and I'm sure he thought Esau was an idiot too, but Jacob, okay, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. Remember those guys that you were in position to help and you left to be a, a flock? Those guys. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Verse 10, now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. So here, Moses is at the crossroads of the ordinary and the extraordinary. He has chosen this ordinary life, a life that really no one outside of his immediate family is counting on him, that he knows what is going to happen day in, day out. He knows the usual routines. He knows what, with regularity what time he needs to take the sheep and give them water and food. It's a common thing that he's doing. It's every day, it's average, and his life is mundane. And he is happy. He's perfectly content with where he is. And I think that's really where a lot of us are at. We like our job. We like our family. We like the city that we live in. We like where we are in life. It's usual, it's regular, it's common, it's everyday, it's average, it's mundane. It's like this huge magnet that pulls us to the ordinary. And Moses is right there, and maybe this morning you are right there too. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's what usually happens. But God called you for a purpose. But God called Moses for a purpose. Not for the ordinary, but the extraordinary, the unusual, the unexpected, the astonishing, the surprising, the amazing. I think on paper we all want that. But do we really? want that. It's uncomfortable. It's scary. It's different. It opens us up for ridicule. One day, Moses was tending his flocks and he went over to see a stupid bush that was flaming too long. 
And he left the extraordinary or ordinary and he entered the extraordinary. And God says, look, I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. Go to the superpower and tell them that you are taking their, their, their workforce. Okay, go. Go to President Obama and tell him that you are taking America's workforce. That's what God is asking. He doesn't have guns or anything. He's got some sheep and a staff. He's in the middle of the desert, and he's got a burning bush. Pharaoh is a real guy, a real leader, a real superpower with real citizens who rely on this labor. There's also the little bit of history that Moses did not exit on all the best of terms. In fact, he exited as a murderer. So God is saying, leave the flock, go to Pharaoh. Leave the ordinary and go to the extraordinary. But Moses is happy with the ordinary. He is happy with the usual, the regular, the common, the everyday, the average, and the mundane. And he's not going to go without a fight. So Moses, five times, three times he protests, and two times he pleads to God not to go. The first time he protests is found in verse 11. But Moses protests to God. If your Bible is here, you should underline protest. Because if you want to hold on to an ordinary life, that this is how you do it. But Motest, Motes, that's Moses and protest together just trying to save some time. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Essentially, the first step, if you want to experience the ordinary, is to stand up and just say, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified to do it. Send somebody else. I, I don't have the, the, the education. I don't have the resume. I don't have, you know, the, the people to do what you are calling me to do, Lord. You have made a mistake. I do not, I am not qualified to carry this plan This is, a, this is a plea, and, and I think secretly in all of us, all of our hearts, because I truly believe that you were created for a purpose. You were created 
to be in the extraordinary, to be in the land of God, not the ordinary. And when God calls, you know what? The reality is that you probably aren't qualified by the world's standard, but you are perfectly knit together in your mother's womb for this very purpose. You see, Moses was put together and all of his history had led up to this moment. That he was an Israelite, but he was sent from his mother in a little raft and then he was adopted into the royal family. And all of his history was coming together that uniquely qualified him. But he's sitting there as a shepherd and only seeing his staff and some sheep and saying, I'm not qualified to do this. You know, you think about the story of God. And really, who is qualified? Was Peter qualified to be the the rock of the church? How about... How about Paul, who was on the road to to persecute Christians? Was he qualified to be the apostle and the primary writer of our New Testament? Who qualifies? God answers, he says, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. I'm sorry, God, but that is the worst sign ever because it doesn't happen until I've walked into Pharaoh's office, taken his primary workforce, and when we're worshiping, say, see, guys, we're here. That's the sign. It's backwards. It is. But God expects obedience and trust as his primary qualification. So Moses is sitting there going, all right, let me think of something else because I really want to have an ordinary life. So verse 13, but Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors have sent me to you. They will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? Basically saying, I don't have the authority to do this. You're asking me to go, but I don't have the authority to walk into Pharaoh's office and tell the people of Israel that we are leaving. Like by what authority? I don't have any credentials. I don't have a badge. I don't have the presidential seal. I don't have a a piece of paper with some wax on it. By what authority? I don't have a, a title. And God says this. He says, God replies to Moses, I am who I am. Now that's helpful, right? Mm. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. 
God also said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Moses said, there saying, I don't have the authority. And God is saying, you know, you may not have the authority, but I do. And you are going under my authority. Man, I wish I got this earlier on in life. You know, when I came to faith and started going to church at 24, I remember things happening, you know, in the church. Not bad things, but just things or things even weren't happening. And I remember at 24 and 25 and 26 thinking, man, somebody should do something. Somebody with the authority, some pastor should do something. Because I certainly don't have the authority. You know, I think that we all do that. That, that when, when we're in high school, we, we look and, and we see things and we say, oh, I'm just a high schooler. When I'm in college, I'll have more authority. And we get into college and we think, oh, I don't have a degree. And when I graduate from college, I'll have more authority because I'll have a degree. And we graduate and we go to the workplace and, we, and in our churches and we're sitting there and going like, yeah. Maybe when I get promoted or maybe when I become 30, I'll have the authority and we become into our 30s and, and, you know, we get into our 40s and I'm 41 now. And I could say, if you are looking for the authority of man to affirm you, you're on the right track for an ordinary life. Our authority does not come from man, it comes from God. Think about Alex, teenager, high schooler, last week leading us into musical worship. By what authority does a high schooler have to lead us into musical worship? It's an outrage. God's authority. And you know what? There's not one of us here who is a follower of Christ who is not more than happy to follow a teenager if we know if that teenager is under the authority of God. It's true. And it doesn't matter if somebody bestows a title on you or or if you have some sort of credential if God is not in it. But the other thing is if God has called you to do something, there is no one, not the Pharaoh or anyone else who can stand in your way and take 
that authority away from you because our God is sovereign and he has given you the authority. He has entrusted it to you to call, to do what God, what he has envisioned for you to do. And this is precisely what he is telling Moses. But Mo- Moses protested again. Verse, or verse 1 in chapter 4. What if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Essentially he's saying here, I don't have the credibility. I don't have the, the credibility to stand before Pharaoh and stand before the, your people and, and say that, that I, you have called me to, to call them out of Egypt. I don't have the credibility. And then the Lord said to him, what's in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw it down, the staff, and it turned into a snake. And Moses jumped back. Now, I think most of us, we see the snake part, and that's all we think about. Snake. That's it. There's a snake in your presence. That's all you think about. At least that's all I would think about until the snake was either dead or I was no longer in its presence. But I think probably the more significant thing here is what happens before the snake. You see, Moses is holding his staff. This is his instrument or his tool of his trade. If you were a judge, you would have a gavel. If you were a teacher, you would have a ruler. <laughs> if you were an accountant, you would have a calculator. So what is happening here is like, I don't have the credibility as a shepherd to do what you have called me to do. And God's saying, you know what? This is what I want you to do. I want you to lay down the primary image of your identity. And God turns that primary image of identity into something extraordinary. He took that gavel, he took the ruler, he took the calculator and changed it from what it is, an ordinary thing, into something extraordinary. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into the shepherd's staff in his hand. What's going on here? God is, is 
And look, you don't think you have the credibility to do this? This is how you get the credibility. You lay down your primary identity, what you think you have credibility in. You lay it down and you rely on my credibility. And I will take whatever is in your hand and I will turn it into something extraordinary. I will turn your gavel into something extraordinary. I will turn your ruler into something extraordinary. I will turn your calculator into something extraordinary, but you have to release it to me. And in Moses' case, he says, pick it back up because you're still a shepherd. But now your identity, your credibility is squarely in me. So Moses, in verse 10, gives up on protesting. The argument is over. And he goes to pleading. Please, God. What's he say? I am not very good with words. I have never, I have never been. And I am not now, even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Essentially, I am not good enough. I'm not good enough to be your spokesman. I think that this is one of the primary hindrances and tools of the enemy to keep us smack dab in the middle of an ordinary life. Because we always think there's somebody better and more qualified with more authority and more credibility and better skills than us. There is not a Sunday that goes by that I do not realize that there is somebody in this room who is a better communicator than I. It's just the fact. Somebody here could come up and do a better job, a more skillful job than I. But there's only one thing. This is what God has called me to do. And even though I may not be the best, even though I may not be good enough, this is what God has called me to do. Thank you, Paula. Why is that? Because if I could come up and dazzle you with my grammar, if I made everything rhyme, if, if I was so eloquent and you walked out of here and said, wow, Mark is the most amazing communicator. And you did not hear from God. This whole thing was for my glory and not his. But 
if you leave this place and say, man, God can even speak through a biblical donkey. (laughs) Good Lord, we have a great God. Wow. What amazing, extraordinary day that would be. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. Moses has a lot of tenacity perseverance here because he's going to give it one more shot. He's come to the end of his arguments. He's come to the end of just kind of his pleading. And he gives it one more shot. Moses again pleads with the Lord, please just send anyone else. God, I want my ordinary life. I want the usual, the regular, the common, the everyday, the average, the mundane. And God answers his prayer. Not how Moses wants him to answer the prayer. You ever pray to God and he answers the prayer, but it's not what you, how you wanted him to answer it? This is exactly what happens. Because he's like, please send anyone else. And the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said. Huh, whew, good. Going back to the sheep. What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well. Like I can, how does he know that? You think he like Aaron just like babbled like a pagan in prayers to God all the time, like really eloquent. He's like, geez, I know he can speak. <laughs> Boy, can he go on and on and on. Well, here he comes, Moses. He speaks well. And look. He's on his way to meet you, and he will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what you do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. Take your shepherd's staff, take your gavel, take your ruler, take your calculator with you. And use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. Could you just imagine Moses going, God, that is not what I meant. No, 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 no. Right? You got it all wrong. Isn't this great? I mean, just, I think this is the beauty of the body of Christ. Where... We are weak. God is strong. That God uses the foolish to confound the wise. That God uses shepherds to free his people. And even in our shortcomings, 
that we can rest assured that there are no shortcomings when it comes to God. And when He created you, He did not make a mistake. He was building the body of Christ. And it's so interesting to me that God called Moses to be the words, but not to speak the words. That was Aaron. But it didn't matter whose mouth it was coming out of. It mattered the message of God that was being delivered. You see, the ordinary, the usual, the regular, the common, the everyday, the average, the mundane is not what God has called us to. He has called us to the extraordinary, the unusual, the unexpected, the astonishing, the surprising, the amazing. But to enter into an extraordinary life, to have an extraordinary 2010 and 11. (laughs) We got Aaron and Moses. I like it. It means opening us up yourself up to paths that you may not have previously walked down to lingering and watching bushes to see if they burn too long. To say, you know what, I am willing to leave the usual, the regular, common, the everyday, the average, the mundane and experience something else. And that could be scary. And that could be Fill us with fear, just like it did Moses. But the Lord says, I am with you. You are my masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus to do the things that I've planned for you long ago, and you do not have to do it alone. You do not have to do it on your own authority. You do it on my authority. You don't have to do it on your own credibility. Lay down your staff and rest in me. Be aware. Be willing to step out and embrace the extraordinary life I have envisioned for you. You guys pray with me. Dear God, your life, the life that you've envisioned for us is scary. It can fill us with fear, but you say that you are not a God of fear or timidity, that you are a God of peace. And God, let us Remove our protests. Lay aside our pleading. 
and accept the extraordinary life that you've envisioned for us. Let us be willing to leave the ordinary and enter into the extraordinary and relentlessly pursue who you have created us to be. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank <laughs> you.